Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, it's not the size of your vessel, but the motion of the ocean. Captain Deeks and first mate McMullen dive deep into insurance. First up, things looking pretty ship in the Suez Canal for insurers. The floodwaters are receding in New South Wales and Queensland, but politicians really have no idea when it comes to flood insurance. The ICA pushed the boat out on business interruption test cases, and I exhaust my list of terrible nautical puns to warn people not to go to New Zealand, on their advice, apparently. Hello everyone, I'm joined by John Deeks, our managing editor. John, do you know your schooner from your dinghy? Well, a schooner in Australia is something you drink beer out of, I think, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All that work I did in those puns, and that's the funniest thing we've heard so far. I'd also like to welcome Terry McMullen, publisher of Insurance News. Morning, Terry. Good morning. You're a boating fan, aren't you? I am indeed, yes. For my sins, I just one thing that keeps me poor. The one thing. Okay. Well, on to this week's main stories. First up, our in-depth analysis article this week looked in detail at the grounding of Ever Given and the impact it could have on the insurance industry. Can you sum this one up for us, John? Yes. Well, thankfully, after nearly a week, the ship has now been refloated and the canal reopened. But as we report in our analysis, the crisis has left a complicated mess in its wake for insurers to sort out. Since our piece on Monday, ratings agency Fitch has released a statement saying the incident will likely cause a large loss event for the reinsurance industry and impact their earnings. The good news is the ship itself was recovered and a large-scale salvage operation wasn't needed. Such operations in the past have been known to lead to claims of more than a billion US dollars. The bad news is that 300 or so other ships were held up by the blockage and could file claims themselves. Plus, there's potential for the Suez Canal Authority to claim for lost revenues. As a result, we could still be looking at losses in the hundreds of millions of dollars, and it's another large-scale event to add to US winter storms and flooding here in Australia that will heap pressure on reinsurers. Terry, ships just keep increasing in size, don't they? Do bigger ships mean bigger problems and bigger claims for insurers? Yes and yes. Um, we've already had over the past 10 years examples of uh, very large container ships in particular causing all sorts of complications for um for insurers. We had a case, and it's got to be at least 10 years ago, of a mask ship, uh, a very large container carrier, actually having a fire on board that destroyed quite a lot of the containers. And the, the mess of the fact that all these containers belonged to, or the contents of those containers belonged to a great variety of, of companies meant that the insurance uh, arrangements were really mired in confusion for several years before they were sorted out. Um, I think we, with this one, we're going to see uh, at least not uh, a lot of confusion over individual containers. When you think that it carries 18,000 containers, you can imagine what it would have been like if they had lost a lot in a fire or some cataclysm uh, at sea. The Ever Given uh, is insured under a 
protection and indemnity uh, arrangement with one of the what's known as the P&I clubs. It's basically a, a mutual insurance association and it provides risk pooling and other sources to member shipping companies. It's owned, the, the ship is actually owned by a Japanese firm, the Shoei Kazin KK, and uh, you will expect that its insurers will face claims, certainly from the Suez Canal Authority for loss of revenue, and then from possibly all those other insurers uh, who are going to be dealing with uh, a fairly massive loss of uh, perishable goods and, and such things, and of course, missed delivery deadlines. And this is going to extend out, not just from ships being stuck in the canal, but you're going to get ships out of sync starting to arrive at ports, which are going to be held up. So it is a, a pretty massive uh, problem. Container ships of this size are usually insured for hull and machinery damage of anything up to about 140, 200 million. Um, and this ship was insured in the Japanese market. So that will bear the cost of the salvage operation. But in other terms, if, if you have a constant build-up of ships, you're going to have these massive supply chain issues. And really, uh, with 20 oil tankers as well being delayed, you've, you've actually seen the price of oil go up. Uh, it's already started to drop after the Ever Given was, was refloated. But uh, yes, the, the bigger the ship, the bigger the problems. And the Suez Canal alone is, is a real problem. They've had 25 groundings in that canal in the past 10 years. So as the ships get bigger and bigger, uh, you are going to see more and more of these sorts of problems arising. So with all that supply chain issue, should our readers be going out and uh, stockpiling toilet paper? <laughs> I think it, possibly that is not a really good idea, but certainly I think we are going to see some shortages of goods uh, that we expected to see a lot earlier, particularly manufacturing goods, etc. Well, closer to home now. Thankfully, there's less need for boats as the floodwaters are receding in New South Wales and Queensland. But it's far from over for insurers, John. Yes, that's right. There have now been almost 30,000 claims and losses are estimated at $438 million. And while that may not be a huge figure relative to other recent catastrophes, insurers will be anticipating a large volume of claims still to come through as people return to their homes and often the more complicated and expensive commercial claims take longer to file. So clearly we're looking at a significant event here, and it's still too early to know just how high those figures will rise. As predicted, it does appear that flood insurance will again become a significant issue, with media reports focusing on residents who opted out of the cover due to annual premiums of $30,000 or more. We've heard from more politicians this week calling for insurers to show humanity and consider their company reputations. Of course, everyone sympathises with the victims in these situations, but Terry, can you explain why insurers can't just pay out when the policy doesn't respond? Over the last 30 years, I must have been asked that question by media so many times. Um, the, the, the simple answer is that insurance is a business and you pay a premium uh, that, that matches the risk and when things go wrong, the insurers pay out. If you're not insured, uh, then obviously they don't pay out. It's as, as simple as that. It's, it's really pretty annoying to hear 
politicians. They, they will always grandstand over these things like uh, flood, particularly flood far more, I think, than, than fire. With, with bushfires, etc., you usually have mac massive damage. Um, with flood, it's, it's a lot more complicated and it really uh, does bog everybody down. But the fact is that, that flood insurance is available. Yes, it, it might cost $30,000, but if, if, if you choose to live on a river that is prone to flooding, and in that particular area in New South Wales, I mean, we were saying back in 2011 that this was going to happen someday, you really have to just bite the bullet. It does not help when when politicians talk about showing humanity. And I'm hopeful that governments won't um, suddenly start giving out relief funds to people on the basis that they didn't have flood insurance while cutting out people who were prudent enough to insure. It's a massive problem because flood insurance is not cheap, but that's the reason it's not cheap. I hope that gives you a, an adequate answer. Less expletives than I was expecting. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's been a big problem for many years. So back to COVID-19 business interruption claims. John, the industry has got some positive news last week. Yes, the, the High Court of Australia has agreed to hear arguments supporting an insurance industry application to appeal the first business interruption test case ruling. As you'll remember, the New South Wales Court of Appeal ruled against insurers last year on the issue of whether they could exclude COVID-BI claims based on references to the now repealed Quarantine Act. It's important to clarify that leave to appeal hasn't been granted. The court has just agreed to hear oral arguments on the application. Even so, the Insurance Council welcomed the development as it keeps hopes of challenging last year's ruling alive. The industry still insists that most BI policies were not intended to cover pandemics and premiums were not collected to cover that eventuality. And the Insurance Council is also predicting a quicker resolution for both test cases than previously thought. Yes, that's right. We, we previously reported industry and legal sources predicting that it would be the end of 2022 before both the first and second test cases and all associated appeals were completed. However, the Insurance Council has outlined a more optimistic timeline. It says the federal court expects the second test case trial, which will examine issues such as proximity of outbreaks and prevention of access, to take place in September this year, and any appeal to be heard in November. Of course, it remains to be seen how exactly things pan out. Terry, 2021 is a big one for regulatory reform. It's something we've already spoken out in previous podcasts. Um, and as we report this week, unfair contract terms will apply to insurance contracts from uh, the 5th of April. Insurers and their legal advisors have been reviewing product disclosure statements, but as experience has shown, it's not impossible for outdated wordings to slip through and ASIC is standing by. Do you think insurers are ready for this? Ooh, it's hard to say that they're all prepared, but I would expect that they would. This is one of those things that's sort of been rumbling under underneath and, and insurers have been working on this for months. Um, most say they are prepared, but but you're right. It's it's not really possible to say they'll all have their uh, alterations ready or or um, 
whether they they will be thorough enough. There's plenty of pitfalls in these sorts of changes, and you can only hope that um, the regulators will be a little flexible in uh, in guiding insurers through some of the pitfalls that may be there that nobody really thought about. I wouldn't have said that a year ago, but after the the BI uh, issues that have been flying around, you really do have to say that that sometimes some things just can't be spotted until they're really bad. And finally, I doubt anyone's planning holidays just yet, but for those that might want to take advantage of the trans-Tasman bubble when it eventuates, the Insurance Council of New Zealand has some pretty stark advice. Can you tell us about this one, John? Yeah, so ICNZ moved to try and inject some clarity into the debate about travel insurance in a post-COVID world. And they said that while some insurers may cover some types of COVID-related losses, such as getting sick with COVID while overseas or cancellation costs due to contracting the disease, the one thing they can't cover is government-imposed lockdowns, blanket quarantines and border closures. ICNZ says it's simply not possible for insurers to develop a product that accounts for the uncertainty and the level of risk presented. Of course, things are changing all the time as vaccines roll out and insurers are renowned for rising to the challenge if there is an appetite for a particular type of cover. But for the time being, travel does remain risky with governments acting quickly and decisively on the basis of just a handful of cases. I think the message is that if travelling, you should still buy travel insurance for the myriad of other things that it protects you against. Lost luggage, severe weather, they're just a few examples. But now more than ever, consumers need to be aware of exactly what their policy covers them for. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's nautical version of the Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again in two weeks' time, next week being uh, a break for uh, Easter. <laughs>